Hi, I'm Melinda Cusera, and today we're talking to Anna McCluskey at, on the program Fantasy Lore and More, and we're going to discuss her contemporary fantasy series, The Warrior Maids Librarians. I don't know about you, but I'm dying to know more about this. We've got my, we've got warriors, we've got mages, and we've got librarians, and I'm dying to know what that's all about. So welcome, Anna. Tell us about these warrior mage librarians. Hi, I am excited to do so. Um, yeah, so I'm here to talk about my brand new series, Warrior Mage Librarians, um, which is live on Kickstarter right now. It is a four book complete series, and I wrote it as a complete series, which was nice um, when I inevitably had a brilliant idea in the middle of writing book three that completely changed a major plot point of the first book. I could actually like go back and fix it instead of having to discard it or work around it. So I'm um, jealous. I'm very jealous. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I learned the hard way that I do this. And so that's why I did this this way this time around. I do it um, too. <laughs> yeah. So it's urban fantasy, contemporary fantasy, um, whatever you want to call it. It takes place in our world, but with magic and stuff. So um, it follows two mages. And I can get into the magic system a little bit later um, because it's something readers tell me they love how unique it is. Um, but the characters are two mages, Trevor and Sister Margaret, who are actually side characters from another series, um, which you don't need to read first. Um, but they've been working for, they've just started working for the Vatican in its warrior mage librarian department. And um, their job is to go around to all of the Vatican's uh, super secret libraries, because you know they've got them and defend the libraries and their scholarly staff from such diverse threats as accidentally summoned demons and rogue mages trying to get their hands on forbidden tomes. You know the types. Uh, but at the beginning of book one, which is called Blood Falls, Trevor and Sister Margaret have their entire world just blown wide open. Uh, they knew magic was real, and they knew about two different kinds of magic wielders, mages like themselves and witches. But now they find out that cryptids are also real and exist alongside of humans in more remote pockets of the world. And that there are lots of different cryptid species, and they have this group called the Cryptid Collective. So the Vatican's mage departments have been invited to join the Cryptid Collective, along with a few other powerful mage groups. And Sister Margaret and Trevor are being set to their summit as the Vatican's representatives. So the series carries through these two characters' journeys as mage members of the Collective, dealing with cryptids, uh, both friendly and hostile. And it's been a lot of fun to create this world that overlays on top of our own. So... By cryptids, what what is what is a cryptid? Because so, I've I've heard the word, but I it like they don't get a picture in my head. It's just a word. So if you had to paint us a picture of what a cryptid is, or give us some examples, yeah. That would be so awesome. sort of traditionally or conventionally, a cryptid is like a reclusive magical creature that like locals see everywhere, but nobody else believes them. Like think of like a chupacabra or something like that. Um, in my world, I'm using the term a little more liberally. So it, I do have chupacabras and I do have Bigfoots and things like that. But I also have um, under that umbrella, I have like dragons and unicorns and vampires and werewolves and like all the standard kind of paranormal creatures. But I wanted kind of a different term than paranormal or supernatural or anything like that and cryptid just has a nice sort of simple ring to it um so that's kind of why i went with that i see i see well let's let's meet them let's meet sister margaret and trevor all let's right into that excerpt so i'm gonna start with chapter one of blood falls and it starts with trevor Trevor dropped his sword and dove to the ground, rolling in a perfectly executed somersault to avoid the demon's outstretched claws. He danced in place as Sister Margaret distracted the creature by piercing its hide with her twin swords and then pulling them out swiftly. He saw his opening and darted back in, stooping to grab his great sword with both hands and then using his upward momentum to plunge the weapon into the demon's scaly underbelly twisting and dodging before using a stitching motion with his left hand against the sword hilt to teleport himself three feet away, avoiding any skin-to-scale contact with the beast. 
The creature spun, reaching blindly for him again, its grotesque mouth gaping open in a bellow as its talons swished through the air, groping through the spot Trevor had just vacated. Glancing at the elderly mage who stood off to the side, Trevor hoped the SME, scholar mage exorcist, was almost ready to send this bastard back to its home dimension. The man's hand glowed and his face looked super intense. This was Trevor's first exorcism and he wasn't sure how long it was supposed to take. All he knew was that he had to keep it occupied and he couldn't let it touch him. Apparently, if a demon touched you, that was how possessions happened and then it was a whole new can of worms to deal with. Focus, please, Sister Margaret called out as she aimed a kick at the creature's shin with her heavy combat boot. Trevor turned his attention back to the demon, skipping backward as its tail lashed out toward him. It spun around to face Sister Margaret, and Trevor let out a wordless bellow of his own to confuse it. The demon's eyeless head swiveled as it shifted its weight from foot to foot, its ears extending like satellite dishes as it struggled to figure out where its enemies were. Moving his hands in a complex gesture, Trevor used his mage powers to move a heavy table from where it lay on its side a few feet away to right above the demon's head, dropping it with a crash right on top of the foul creature. Finally, a beam of light shot out from the exorcist's hand straight at the demon and it disappeared with a pop. Trevor lowered his sword, transferring it to his left hand as he swiped his sweaty face with the short sleeve of his black t-shirt. He had declined to wear armor for this task, opting instead for the agility granted by simple workout gear. Thank you for your assistance, said the exorcist gravely as he approached the pair. He offered a towel to each of them, which Trevor accepted with a grateful smile. Sister Margaret demurred, instead pulling a small folded black cloth from her leather bandolier. Her eyes turned from sear white to their ordinary dark brown as she shook it out and sat cross-legged on the floor, avoiding a puddle of demon blood, and began cleaning one of her swords, laying the other neatly across her lap. While Trevor's powers lay in healing and the ability to move people and objects around with mystical gestures, Sister Margaret was a seer and could use her powers to see into the near future or magic, see magic and auras overlaid in the physical world. If she had a mirror or scrying stone, she could also see into the distance in the presence. The exorcist was a speller using words to manipulate the world around him. While Trevor made a point to learn all three magic disciplines, Sister Margaret had chosen to use only her seer powers in order to keep them strong. Most mages used only one discipline, and he assumed the exorcist was the same way. You're welcome, Trevor wheezed. Happy to help. So that's all I had for for now. Oh, oh, oh okay. I didn't. I you said it was going to be short. I didn't. I didn't think that short. I'm sorry. I could. I could skip ahead. It just gets into like some exposition a little bit. Um, it's Actually, like not as fun. If you don't mind, if there's some more fun, like, because I wasn't ready for it yet. <laughs> yeah, um, chapter two starts with Sister Margaret. Okay, um, let's, can we, can we hear some of, like, because that was, that was, that was really into it. <laughs> it was just like, whoa. I was like, wait, did, did I, I thought I hit something or something. Because <laughs> you just sort of stopped. It was like, oh my God, did I, did I glitch something? <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, let's go ahead and start yeah, chapter thanks. two. Uh, Sister sure. Margaret. The beer had been as serviceable and the food as fantastic as promised. After a couple of hours of celebration, Trevor had started a game of cards with the exorcist and a few of the resident and visiting scholars. Sister Margaret pleaded exhaustion and headed back to the stark room she'd been assigned in the dormitory wing of the Banghor Fort Library. She spotted the weapons rack in the corner and strode over to it. She paused and eyed the rack dubiously. It was much smaller than she was used to. This was supposed to be a warrior's room. What kind of warrior mage could get away with a tiny little weapons rack like this? She unbuckled her sword belt, carefully hanging the twin swords that were her main weapons on the end closest to the bed so she'd be able to easily grab them if something happened in the night. Next, she pulled 15 knives and daggers out of various hiding spots in her body, arranging them on the rack, packing them as closely as she could. Then she moved on to the miscellaneous potions, from pepper spray to drugs and poisons to my mystical elixirs. Most of these she pulled out of the pockets of her bandolier. There wasn't a good way to store them on the weapons rack, so she stashed them in the top drawer of her dresser. Finally, she divested herself of her projectiles, a set of blow darts, four throwing stars, and a handful of smoke bombs. She carefully slipped the throwing stars under her pillow for easy access and then placed the rest on her nightstand. If someone broke into her room, her best bet was always to kill or disable them while they were still at the door rather than give them time to engage in an actual fight. Sister Margaret lifted her bandolier off over her head and folded it neatly on a nearby chair. She unbuckled her arm bracers, then her torso armor, letting her breath out with a whoosh of relief as her ribs expanded fully. 
She'd been wearing armor pretty much all day, every day, for years, and while she was used to its weight, she still didn't think her body would ever really be comfortable in it. Because her armor was so close-fitting, she'd never bothered with bras, but she imagined that removing her armor gave her the same kind of release most women felt when they took off their bra at the end of the workday. She peeled off her leather pants and pulled on a pair of black leggings in their place, then exchanged her sweat-soaked black undershirt for a clean one. For the final touch, she loosened her long hair from its tight braid, allowing it to flow around her face in a wavy black cloud. Holy fuck, that feels good, she breathed, massaging her sore scalp. Maybe she should just shave her hair all off. That's what a true warrior did. This is how I pay for my vanity, she murmured, and to what end? But as she gazed at herself in the full-length mirror that hung on the wall, she simply couldn't help but feel a spark of joy at the beauty of her thick waist-length hair. I am allowed some small measure of vanity, am I not? I'm only human, she told herself. Besides, it would break me abuela's heart if I came home with a shaved head. Not that she had much chance to get home these days. She loved her life as a warrior mage librarian, but she knew her family missed her, and she missed them as well. Then again, she knew she was lucky to be given such a prestigious title at such a young age. She was just shy of 30, one of the youngest in this day and age, to be promoted to WML. Sister Margaret laid out her travel yoga mat and began to run through her nightly stretching routine, starting with her extremities, seating herself on her knees with her fl feet flexed underneath her rear, toes tucked against the floor. As she moved through her body, she focused on clearing her mind of vanity, of thoughts of far-off family, of stressors, and day-to-day minutiae, clearing her mind of all thoughts, just using the movements and the breath to clear her mind altogether. So that's Sister Margaret. Oh, wow. That was... That was also short, <laughs> but no, I, I like her so far. She's a spitfire. She's very fire. I like, I really liked this. I'm going to have to get a copy of the, I'm going to have to get a copy of this. I, I'm, I really liked it. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. These two characters were just like so much fun to write in previous series that I just, I had to keep their story going and, um, I had, you know, a lot of readers tell me that they were really excited to see these two characters come back. And so that's that kind of cemented that um, that impulse. So what so now I'm curious, like what role did they play in other care in other series? So in my Matilda Holiday series, um, Trevor is the best friend of the main character. Um, and then Sister Margaret comes in in a later book and she helps them to. Um, with no spoilers, but um, helps them with their um, mission to defeat this um, secret society that has kidnapped Matilda and their, you know, struggles to bring it down. So my guess, is Matilda um, also a mage or? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. okay. Is she part of this, this warrior mage librarian She's not. No, she um, she's the main character of the previous series. And then um, these two characters kind of break off yeah. to to have and, their own adventures. OK. And like what in Matilda's series, what is that about? I'm just curious since like they're in case people want to go over and, and you know, check that out as well and see. Sure. See them before they broke away. <laughs> yeah. So the Matilda <laughs> Holiday series follows um, two sisters, one. um doesn't know that magic exists and the other is a mage and um, the mage gets kidnapped by this secret society and um, her sister kind of is having some life trouble so she kind of drops everything and goes to find her sister and um, it just creates this whole you know um, domino effect of events in which everybody's life is ruined and <laughs> the secret society kind of takes over their their lives until they can really fight them okay that sounds cool that sounds like a lot of fun that's also urban fantasy uh-huh yeah so the warrior mage librarian series do they is it set in one city or do they sounds like they're traveling so it's not yeah it's set in a variety of cities and um all of the most of the places in the series are actually cryptid cities so um the four books are each named after real places in the world that are very remote and dangerous um so we have blood falls um which is an actual waterfall in antarctica um and there's there's minerals in the um cliff face behind the waterfall that make it look like blood um but in oh. my world there's a dragon city 
um, next to the waterfall called Matainla. And they go there. It's the seat of the cryptid collective. And so the um, Trevor and Sister Margaret are sent there <clears throat> as part of their, um, they're joining the cryptid collective. And so they're going to this annual summit in this dragon city. And then the second book is called Gateway to Hell which is the nickname of this area of Ethiopia. Um, it's like the hottest place on earth and like scientists study it to see what like conditions might be like on other planets. And it's like very surreal. Um, and so there's a group of cryptids called Salishifters that are like salamanders, like fire elementals, um, but they can shift from that form to human and back again, and they can change their size. And they have a city um, in my universe in the Dalal Valley in the gateway to hell. And so that second book is set there. And then um, book three is called Snake Island, um, which is a real island off the coast of Brazil that is occupied entirely by these, um, they're called Golden Lance Pit Vipers. And they're these like deadly snakes that shoot venom at birds. It's very exciting. But um, in my world, there's um, a group of these immortal mushroom shifter cryptids that um, live there and they keep the pets, the snakes as pets. And so book three is set there. And then the final book is set under the Bermuda Triangle in a merfolk city. Um, and it's called Devil's Triangle, which is, of course, another word for the Bermuda Triangle. But it sounds way more dramatic. It does. I like that. <laughs> I've I, I hadn't heard of Devil's Triangle, but I like that. I think I'm gonna be calling the Bermuda Triangle that from now on. It's certainly a catchier name. It is, yes. <laughs> wow. And all right, so let's talk about that magic system. You mentioned that it's unique. Well, let's hear about it. What's unique? What yeah, give so, us the goods. <laughs> so mages <laughs> fall into one of three categories. And um, your natural discipline of mage powers is based on how you live in time. So like, you know how some people really live in the moment. So those people in this universe are spellers. They use um, spoken or thought words, so spells, to manipulate the world around them. So they have to be able to see something, like it has to be in their presence for them to be able to put a spell on it. Although there are some workarounds for that. Um, but that's what a speller does. So they can like shoot fireballs or like levitate something or someone or things like that. And then a seer kind of lives in the future. So a seer is somebody who plans a lot, who's always looking at what's coming next. And their mage powers, um, Sister Margaret is a seer. She can, um, she changes her eyes so they go all white. And then she can see like a few minutes or a few seconds into the future. She can kind of adjust it as she needs. Um, and it comes in handy in a fight, obviously. And then she can also see like further into the future in like visions, but that's a little bit less predictable that she can't do that like on command. And then she can also use like a mirror or a bowl of water or something like that to see kind of what's happening far away in the present. And then stitchers, which is what Trevor is, use gestures to manipulate the fabric of space and time. So they can kind of like, they can teleport things or people um, short distances. They can heal because that's kind of returning it to a, a former state, um, things like that. And then there are people called morphers, which Trevor is actually a morpher. He, he is a natural stitcher, but he can use all three, um, all three disciplines. And anybody can learn to use all three disciplines, but most mages choose not to. Actually, most mages don't know that they can, but even most mages who do know that choose not to because it makes it weakens their natural state. So Trevor, because he can use all three um, disciplines, is a little more flexible, but his stitching is not as strong as if he just used stitching. So Sister Margaret has chosen to just be a seer and just use seeing powers because she wants to make her seeing powers as strong as possible. That's really cool. I, I love that there's three classifications and then there are workarounds. That's really cool. Yeah. And so one of the workarounds that I use a lot is um, spelled tattoos. Uh, so you can get a tattoo that will have a spell imbued in it that can enable you to use that spell. Some of them are passive. Some of them are active. Like there's one character in um, book two. She has a sword um, tattooed on her forearm and she 
can um, touch it to things and they will shrink to a specific size. So they use that to get into the Salah Shifter City because the Salah Shifter City is very, very small. Oh, they have to shrink down like mm -hmm. Allison. That's so yeah. wild. Uh -huh. So they can't, it doesn't work on people. They actually use a potion for that, but they use it to, to shrink down all of their, um, their gear. And they have like a van that shrinks down so they can drive into the city. And then they can grow it again. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. So they use the tattoo to shrink it. How do they grow it again? They just, you have like a grow. It's tattoo. the same tattoo. Yeah. It'll, it'll grow it back to its original size. And that doesn't harm or change it? Nope. That's pretty wild. Now, one thing I did want to spend a few minutes and talk about is, so right now the books are on Kickstarter. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to spend, normally we don't spend a lot of time on, on here talking about where to get the books, but since this is a special situation. So sure. let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter because that's, you. I saw, some, I think there's the tattoos on there. There are, yeah, um, as part of the book box tier. So um, for anybody who doesn't, who isn't familiar with Kickstarter, because there's a lot of kind of like misconceptions about Kickstarter, I think and a lot of people, you know, view it more as like a GoFundMe thing where it's like somebody's begging for money. And that's not at all how Kickstarter works. Um, so I use Kickstarter to launch all of my books because it's a great way to build community with readers. It's a great way to offer readers things that I wouldn't be able to give them on retailers. Like you were just saying those tattoos, like I can't, I can't include temporary tattoos in a book when I'm selling it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anything like that. But I can do that on Kickstarter. You can opt to get just the book in ebook or paperback. You can opt to get art prints of the characters. You can opt to get the book boxes, which includes all the paperback books or the eBooks, whichever you prefer. Um, plus, those art prints, um, there's an Oracle card, there's um, the temporary tattoos, there's enamel pins, you know, all kinds of cool book mail swag that you can get if you want it. Um, and then I'm also doing some like kind of bonus scenes in the, the eBooks as well. So there'll be, um, the books actually don't happen one after the other. There's like a little bit of time in between them. So I'm doing some interim scenes um, and I'm including those in like the ebook omnibus. So there's a lot of really cool stuff you can get on Kickstarter that you just can't get um, through a retailer. Plus, you can interact directly with me, you know, as you as you back a Kickstarter, the author or, you know, creator of whatever product you're doing will send you updates on how things are going, um, both with the book and with the campaign. And you just, you get to know a little bit more of the personality of the author. And um, I love it too, when like readers will email me during the campaign and say how excited they are about it and things like that. Like that's very, very fun for me. So it that's, goes both ways. <laughs> that's so cool. Now, if you're listening to this and the Kickstarter has ended, because the Kickstarter is only running for a couple of weeks, right? So yeah. why don't you just give us the dates and then for anyone who's listening outside of that window, can they still get any of these cool things? It, can they do they just need to purchase these on retail? Like let let let's speak to those listeners. Yeah. So once the Kickstarter is done and it's running through June 29th, um, once it's done it's going to be a few months before the books will be released on retailers. Um, and at that point you'll be able to get them um, probably in November, you'll be able to get book one and then I'll be releasing each book two months apart after that. Um, and you'll be able to get them anywhere books are sold. Um, I, I sell widely so you can get them on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes and Noble. Um, you can get the paperbacks from any indie bookstore or, um, bookshop.org or any place like that. You can also always get anything I've written on my website, AnnaMcCluskey.com. Um, and then all of those extras, most of those are going to go away. Um, you might be able to get them on future Kickstarters that are for books that are set in the same world. Um, or I do offer some of them on my um, subscription site on uh, reamstories.com. And I'll, I'll have, she's going to send me all the links. So we'll have all of that in the show notes. So don't worry about trying to write stuff down. <laughs> but um, No, that's really awesome. 
All right, so we did the Kickstarter. We've talked about the magic system. Where do we? So, anything else you want to say about Kickstarter or about um, where to get it afterwards, or should we go back to the world and the characters? I'm excited to tell you more about this world because I spent a lot of time building this world, and I think it's pretty cool. Um, then let's do that because I'm definitely interested in these War of Mage librarians and and how do they like. They work for the Vatican. Like, you know, when did the Vatican get cool with magic? I've got questions. <laughs> so in this world, the Vatican has always been cool with magic. Oh. Um, you know, it's secret. And that's the thing is, you know, it is a hidden magic world. So most humans don't know that magic is real at all. Um, and so you have mages. Any human can be a mage. All you have to do is find a mentor in your discipline and learn how to do it. Um, But there are also kind of these enclaves of mages. So you have like these secret societies. Um, You know, I mentioned one secret society that was bad before, um, but there are also secret societies that are just neutral. And then there are ones that are actively working to be, to do good in the world. Um, There's one in my, in this series called Paula, or it might be pronounced Pela. I don't know. I took it from an Aldous Huxley book and I've never actually heard it out loud. So I'm realizing now that I should have researched that before doing it, saying it on a podcast. But um, it is um, more of like a utopian society. So they are like actively working to like influence politics to like stop climate change and work for social justice and things like that. Um, And then there's another one called Aurora that has actually risen from an evil secret society that is like their focus is again on doing good in the world to kind of counteract their predecessors. Um, And then there's also, I have like the Illuminati in there, which um, I had to do a lot of research on the Illuminati and it's kind of fascinating. I thought that they had been around for a really long time. They have not. Um, They have only been around since like the 18th century, which is so strange to me. But um, the Illuminati, yeah, the (laughs) Illuminati in my world is kind of neutral. Like they're not really good. They're not really bad. They're just kind of out for themselves, but they do play like a pretty... um, strong role in a couple of the books um they're especially book two and book four um and um one of sister margaret's exes from before she was a nun turns out to be an illuminati and that's that's a whole big thing um because you know she's a nun now (laughs) so but um so yeah there's all the secret societies and then there's lots of like lone mages who just kind of do their own thing. And that's probably most mages in this world, but I don't really deal with them as much in this series. They're a little bit more in the the previous series. So in this series, we're only dealing with organized mages. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and then there's the cryptids, which um, I have a lot of like, sort of established cryptids that like you might recognize, like, you know, we talked about Chupacabras, Bigfoots, um, there's vampires and werewolves. There are dragons. Um, I've got some kind of bloodthirsty unicorns going on. Um, the merfolk are particularly bloodthirsty, but then I have a lot that I made up. So like the Salish shifters that we talked about, those, they play very heavily in book two, Um, So they're like the little like salamanders from like medieval alchemy um, sort of in my world rose from the myth of that myth rose from the, the salish shifters. Um, But I've, I've very much expanded upon their, um, their whole situation. And then I have these uh, mushroom based shifters which um, are, were a lot of fun to make up. So they're called the Kalampa Amaru. And they were created when an Inca priestess who happened to be a witch was very tired and she was preparing a um, sacrifice for her snake god of made of mushrooms. The sacrifice was made of mushrooms, not the god. And um, she accidentally turned it into a spell that created these cryptids that are 
completely immortal unless they are um they can be killed by fire and that's it and then um they can shift into any form they can also just change parts of their form so like they could be human but then like they need to climb a tree so they turn their hands into claws um and they live on snake island for um where book three is set and then with the cobras or the well, i forgot the what the pit vipers the pit vipers yes uh-huh yep they have their little murder pets um to keep the humans away and it has been effective until <laughs> now <laughs> so then um yeah trying to think what other like cool ones that i made up there are i think that's pretty much it but I did have to do a lot of research on the other ones, the ones that are not made up. And then of course I kind of, you know, made like vampires and werewolves kind of my own as every author who has vampires and werewolves does. So in my world, um, vampires do not come from humans. They are cryptids, they are born vampires and um, they do drink blood, but only from willing victims and it doesn't kill the victims. I mean, they could kill the victims, but they don't. Um, and I shouldn't call them victims because they're employees. Um, and they're very civilized. The vampires are. Let's see. And then there's the dragons who live in Antarctica and they breathe ice rather than fire. They manipulate ice as well. Their entire city is made out of like ice that is not necessarily cold because it's magical. And there's technology. The cryptids have technology as well. They have um, these little cars that are run on magic that um, are pretty much used everywhere except for the um, except for the underwater city because they just swim there. That makes sense. I mean, why would you <laughs> why would you do anything else when you have fins, yeah. you know, and a flipper? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you know, the cars would just kind of it doesn't it doesn't work. Technology is not as not as useful underwater, although they do have like computers and stuff. You would need like a mini sub. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you don't need it. Because you have fins. <laughs> or some of them have tentacles. But most of them have fins. That's so cool. So let's talk about Sister Margaret and Trevor. So they're going to visit the Cryptid Council in Antarctica. So... did are we do, we, do they get the invitation in Blood Falls? Or did they... Did we see, did the invitation come in the, because you said they were in a previous book, uh, in a previous series, pardon. No, they get, they get the invitation in Blood Falls. Um, so after the scenes that I just read, they go back to the Vatican to get their next assignment. And their next assignment is going to the, the summit of the Cryptic Collective. And then, you know, they get there and they have no idea what to expect. They've been given very little information and, um, I don't want to give too much away, obviously, but they find out that although the collective, the cryptid collective as a whole has invited them, there are a lot of cryptids who don't want them there, who don't like humans, and some, in fact, who really just want to wipe humanity from the face of the earth because... Um, I mean, we're destroying the planet. So, yeah, I mean, we're getting a little too big for our britches. Yeah, I mean, if we look at all the things that humanity has done lately, like, I, I don't think we have to search far for a reason why cryptid would want to get rid of us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can, there's so many to choose from. Yeah. So, but. Is this the first time that the Vatican is sending a delegation um, to the Cryptic Council? Yes. Why did they decide this time and not any previous time? Did like something happen to precipitate that? Yeah, there was a prophecy. Um, so the, again, I don't want to give too much away. Oh, but, okay. Um, but That's my there's... job. I, I got to get you to give us a spoiler. <laughs> so there's a, there's a prophecy that basically says that they need to include humans or shit's going to hit the fan and it's going to be super, super bad. 
and the rest of the books are them trying to prevent shit from hitting the fan and things getting super, super bad. And obviously they're going to get a little bad because otherwise it wouldn't be very interesting. Um, but what you'll does- have to wait until the end ah. of the fourth book to find out if the shit hits the fan in its entirety and if things get really, really bad. <laughs> we don't get to know what the shit hitting the fan and the really, really bad what that could be we have to okay so that's yeah you got to read blood falls to find out what the prophecy is and Um, what they're trying to prevent i will say anyone who has read my previous books knows that i am not afraid to get messy and so just because there are four books and there are characters you love does not mean that the end of the series will not end badly (laughs) I am oh. not necessarily a happily ever after kind of author. Oh, so this might be the end of Trevor and Sister Margaret or just the beginning. Going to have so, to read and find out. <laughs> yeah. So what are you now? So you've got the four books all written? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, mostly. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still kind of dialing in um, book four, a little bit of book three. Um, and then I need to go back and kind of edit, but they will be ready within like the next couple of months. Um, and then I'm hoping to release on retailers in November, but I want to make sure that Kickstarter backers get the books three, three months early. So, um, you know, if it has to be pushed out, then, then it has to be pushed out, but they're, they're essentially written. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So is there going to be any other series set in this, world is we've got the Matilda Holiday and we have the Warrior Mage Librarian. So there's two. Are there any others? Are there future ones? So technically my my other series, uh, my first series, Rhymes with Witch, is also set in the same um, universe. It deals with witches rather than mages. Um, and in the Warrior Mage Librarian series, there's a lot of debate about whether witches are humans or cryptids because in order to be a witch, you have to have been you have to have a witch who's a mother, a mother for a witch and be from like a line of witches. Um, and you have to be female as well. But of course, because witches are all female, they, you know, have to intermix with human males. And so then it's like, well, are they actually human or so? Um, I see. Can, you can't have a male witch. No, no, there are no warlocks or male witches in the, in the series. Um, witches are all women. So it's a little bit, iffy about whether whether they're human or cryptid but um yeah so the rhymes with witch is more of like a comedy series as well um but it is set in the same universe i do have witches in the warrior mage librarian series they are alluded to in the matilda holiday series and then yes i am hoping to write more books in this universe going forward as well i'm sort of tentatively calling it the cryptid verse at this point um and it will be probably like i'm thinking a historical book so it would go back into like the history of the cryptids maybe to medieval times but still set in this world and that's as far as i've gotten okay no i was just curious yeah i do want to expand it no, that's it's it's a really cool world. You'd be, I, it's, I'm happy to hear you're going to expand it. <laughs> it sounds it's just, the magic system alone is just very interesting. My brain is still caught on that. <laughs> Thank you. It's very unique and very cool. Yeah, I I have a lot of a lot of readers send me questions and comments about the um, the magic system. No, it's awesome. Is there anything else that you want to say about the Warrior Mage Librarians? Because I know we, we can't do too many spoilers because it's on it's only on Kickstarter mm-hmm. right now. Um yeah, I we could talk a little bit about the characters because they were so much fun to um to create sure. and to expand. And I really like they have kind of an odd couple kind of vibe because you know. We have Trevor, who is, he's a historian. He's kind of a mild-mannered kind of type of person, which I know you don't get from what I just read because he's fighting. But in general, he's hes very sort of gentle and kind of 
has kind of a wry sense of humor. And then you have Sister Margaret, who is a throwing herself into a battle kind of person. She curses like a sailor. She carries a ton of weapons wherever she goes. She wears leather pants and leather armor and a leather bandolier. And um, she's got, you know, her swords with her at all times, whether she's out in public or not. And she likes to pretend that she's like going to a Renaissance fair or something like that when people question her. <laughs> but, um, and then Trevor, you know, he's, he's more of a thinker, you know, she's a fighter, he's a thinker, but of course she's also highly intelligent. He's also good with the sword. Um, but you know, they have these, these separate personalities and they, they come together and make an excellent team. Um, since it's pride month, I'll also talk about the fact that they're both queer. Um, they are, you know, it's not, there's no romance in the, in the series. Obviously she's a nun. Um, he is also asexual and aromantic, um, and I did that both for, cause I don't see that a lot in literature no. and I have a lot of friends who are. And so I'm like, Hey, you know what? Like maybe they would want to see somebody. So I, I created initially a side character to give them that rep. And now he's, you know, the main character, but, um, sister Margaret is a lesbian, you know, even though she's a nun, she's not doing anything about it. Obviously she's still, you know, maintains that. Um, and so, you know, her ex shows up, her ex-girlfriend. Um, and so there's a lot of like awkwardness in there and then they kind of iron things out and become friends um, throughout the rest of the series. But I, I like the, even though I didn't set out to do that when I created these characters because they were not originally main characters, I like that I have this series of queer characters who are not a queer romance. You know, it's not about their experiences as members of the LGBTQ community. They just are, you know? Yeah, no, that's really cool, especially to find in like urban fantasy. Like I'm even more interested now in reading it. <laughs> yes, that means I win. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, is the competition? <laughs> I'm a pretty easy sell though. <laughs> I have to admit that I'm, I'm Same. pretty easy I when it will, comes to books. <laughs> I will read pretty much anything that is magic, and also actually a lot that isn't. So I like action-packed <laughs> books. I'm not a big fan of like I'll if there's some romance in it, like um that's I mean it's okay because like that is part of life. But I like prefer stories that just like where that happens off camera, off stage just not not inside the story that you know yeah but that's me that's my personal thing like I'm no I get I'm that weird. for sure <laughs> I like I like a good romantic subplot but I don't I don't seek out romance books whether they're paranormal or contemporary or historical I would rather read about other things that people are doing yeah because like we spend so much of our lives like not engaged in that you know right yeah there's more to life <laughs> yeah that's it and and like there's mm -hmm. nothing and i would say there's nothing along with romance romance is it's very empowering for men for many women to read i just want to see women kick butt and swing a sword <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah that that empowers me <laughs> well, Mr. margaret kicks butt and swings swords and throws ninja stars and stabs with daggers and kicks with combat boots <laughs> oh, she's my kind of woman <laughs> i feel like we're already friends <laughs> this was awesome is there anything else that you want to say about the characters or um because we've, we've met two of them i don't know if there's any other characters in there that we can talk about that aren't spoilers um yeah i feel like there's some some fun side characters um Sister Margaret's ex, Jody, is a lot of fun. I've mentioned her a couple of times. Um, she's kind of similar to Sister Margaret, but without the moral compass. Uh, so is that why they broke up? A <laughs> um, little bit, yeah. <laughs> there was um, there was there was a little bit of a brush with the darker side of magic that kind of scared sister margaret straight and did not do the same for jody um and then let's see i've got some 
There's uh, Cardinal Neubacher is their boss in the warrior mage department. Um, and he's kind of this enigmatic, kind of scary, very mild-mannered in a scary way kind of person, if you know what I mean, where he's just kind of like you 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 get a feel for violence under the surface, but he never really has to go that far because everyone's a little bit scared of him. Um, there's Tay, who is a Sala shifter, and he is um, kind of their guide in the Dragon City. And then he is the one who kind of calls on them for help in book two to go to the Sala shifter city to... Um, to save them from a situation. And um, he's he's kind of a fun character. He's very similar to Trevor in a lot of ways. Um, very intelligent. He's more of a politician um, than a fighter. But he's um, he was fun to write as well. And then, oh, I did this um, kind of contest on my Facebook page asking people to share it and then somebody would get to create a character for the series. And I was kind of expecting somebody to just sort of pick a name and a species and call it a day. And um, one of my friends actually won and he's a fellow writer and he created this one-eyed vampire hunter with this like very colorful backstory. Um, he's a, uh, his grandmother was killed by what she thought was a vampire. It's unclear if that was actually the case, but he, you know, declared vampires to be the enemy from then on out and has spent years very ineptly hunting vampires. He carries a um, two-barreled shotgun with a rosary in one barrel and silver bullets in the other because he doesn't know that silver bullets will kill a vampire, but he doesn't know that they won't. And so he's he's covering all his bases there. And he has been a lot of fun. He shows up in book two and will come back again in book four, although I haven't written that scene yet. Oh wow, that's that's quite a backstory. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. So, oh, and then there's some other mages who um, are actually from the previous series who show up a couple of times throughout the Warrior Mage Librarian series. There's um, Sammy, who is a very flamboyant young man who is part of one of the other. Um, Secret Society is the utopian one that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, and he's he's a lot of fun. He just kind of charges through life. He's a speller, so he's very um, impulsive, very, um, <clears throat> yeah, he just charges ahead and gets himself into trouble a lot. Wow. No, it sounds like quite the cast of characters. So I hope that everyone's going to go and check out either the Kickstarter if you're listening while the Kickstarter is on, which is from now until June 28th, 2023, 29th, 29th, 2023. And if you missed that, then you should be heading over to Anna's website to find out where else to get it or when to get it. If you're in that interim period where the Kickstarter has ended and the books aren't out yet. And this has been fantastic. So we're going to be wrapping up in a few minutes. So any last words, Anna? Um, I guess I just want to say that I, um, so first off, thank you for having me. Um, oh, sure. No, thank you for then, coming. This was I fantastic. Kind of like sum up my, my sort of credo as an author. Um, something that I like have been thinking about a lot lately of like, why do I write and who do I write for? And I came to the conclusion that I'm a weirdo who writes weird characters, weird stories for weird people. So if you're a weirdo, you will probably like my books. I'm a weirdo and I think I will like them. <laughs> my TBR is already enormous and I think I'll be adding four more books to it. You're welcome. <laughs> I love fantasy books. I love urban fantasy. I, I when I find non-romantic urban fantasy, like that is like my absolute 
favorite thing to read. So I'm very excited <laughs> because Yay. there was a point. I don't know if you if you if you read a lot of like I first found urban fantasy through like the trad publishers, and for a while there was tons of it, and then it all started to dry. The series started to end, and the and the authors who were writing it all started writing like very spicy romance, and I was like, there was just not any more to read. Yeah. Looking at you, Laurel K. Hamilton, what happens? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. And I didn't know. And I bought that book and I was like, uh, this is not what I signed up for. And then there were other ones that had covered, like, I love the Jane Yellow Rock series. I didn't like the romance parts, but I love Jane Yellow Rock as a character. And, um, and that, you know, and then I saw they need a Blake and I was like, oh, this looks like it might be kind of like that. And it was very much not, <laughs> there was a lot of action, but there was also just, um, just a lot of other things that I wasn't looking for. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm very happy to find out that there is some urban fantasy that coming out that is not going to be romance focused, <laughs> that will be magic focused. And, you know, no, I'm, I'm. I'm going to run to Kickstarter after this. <laughs> well, I've got another interview after this and then maybe I can go over and do that because this is, I'm very excited about this. So I'm really happy you came. Now my TBR is enormous. So. <laughs> it's just grown by four books, possibly more if the uh, Matilda holiday series is, is um, like not romance focused. It's not. It has like a very, very, very small romantic subplot that is like that just kind of goes every once in a while and then it's it's not. It's there's no romance really. Oh, there's... that's fine. I don't mind like the subplot as long <laughs> as it's not like main screen all of the time. Yeah. Um, which some of the Danielle Rocks books, like the whole thing with, with uh, what was it, Remy? I think his name was. I was so happy when he left the series and got his own <laughs> series. I was like, I'm never buying that other series because I hated him. <laughs> I think that was his name. <laughs> but um, it meant that for a while there'd be, you know, there'd be tension with her and um, I forgot his name. But um, I've read them, but it's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I've got like all of them. I'm like, <laughs> it's. You know, they're very violent books. So, so. so yay. <laughs> yeah. There is some romance with like Jane, like she beheads a lot of vampires. Yeah. <laughs> in the service of other vampires, which I think is wild that other vampires right. hire her to behead other vampires, never thinking that she might turn and do the same thing to them. I don't know. Something about that. I love <laughs> maybe it's a strong woman. Um, I, I don't know. Anyways, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming, Anna. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and that's going to do it for this episode of Fantasy Lore and More. I am Melinda Gracera, your indie fantasy author, and we'll be back with another episode soon. So stay tuned and have a good night or a good day from wherever you are. <laughs>